Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Kind of sounded like Bane. It was. It was I don't know Bane. where that came from. It was dark. Yeah, that was kind of like Bane from Batman, I think. With that, right? Where everybody is in there isolation. You go. That's a little, there you go. Two men have come together to provide you entertainment over the airways. That's right. Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura, the big bees. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. I think that's solid. I miss our sticks, our bees on oh, sticks. We need some sticks. We need lots of and listen, I just want to come out here and set the record straight, if I may. There's yeah. a lot of talk on the interwebs of people, there and, are, and of you and I having or seven Discord. People. And listen, let me tell you something. There's no Discord whatsoever. I saw eight people talking about it, as a matter of fact, which there is eight. a 114% <laughs> increase over your number, Bishop. And I just want you to know I'm fully committed uh, to Cleveland Browns Daily. I'm not going anywhere. Okay. It's like when you're that the attractive. Real question. If you're somebody who's real attractive question. at a bar, and when we could go to bars, and a lot yep. of people come and they hit on you that's not when your fault that's not your fault just because the bpa people are flirting with me doesn't mean i'm reciprocating yeah. i'm cleveland browns daily from day one and i'll always be cleveland browns daily the um okay two things off of that number one if you would have been a wrestler what would your outfit have been you've probably so given thought- a lot of thought to this I have given some thought now given if this is when I was younger when I really had a fully formed character and yeah. I would I would be hired by McMahon as a consultant because back then you know I'd worked for McKinsey and so I thought of myself as the as a consultant and uh that I would then start, you know, antagonizing people. I'm better than them. I'm the one making judgments, getting people fired, whatever. And then obviously it's going to have to come to some type of physicality in the ring. So I didn't, I had, I always, I always liked when the rock wore those kind of like the sweatpants. So I probably would have worn like a sweatpant, no shirt, but I would have always been in a suit otherwise. And then my finisher would have yeah. been the corporate downsizer. <laughs> They'd be like, he hit him with the downsizer. One, two, three. And if I beat people, they were fired. That's kind of how I envisioned it going. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I could yeah, get I probably people, would have been the Eric Bischoff. The crowd. Oh, yeah, you'd have been a great Bischoff. Yeah. Tremendous. I would have been a great Bischoff. That would have been good for me to do do those type of acts, certainly. You would have um, needed a real heavy very good. with you. You would have, you'd have needed a big, a big muscle yeah. behind you, which would have been – you'd have been tremendous. Yeah, yeah, I would have needed that. I would have needed a little bit of muscle. That would have been fine, though. I think I could have thrived in that role. That would have, no I, I thrive in negativity from time to time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is Good Friday. is Easter weekend, kids. You know, you hit on it with the, with the bars, like – you know, it's it. Today would have been uh, day two of the Masters, obviously. Um, actually, before we get into all of that, look, did you watch any of Tiger last night from '97? Did you jump in at all on it? For a brief moment, not a ton. Yeah. And it's it, 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 that's 1997. You were talking about '86. Yep. It's stunning the difference in presentation yes. in just 20. I mean, Beyonce. How did we watch years. TV yeah. before? How do we all not have eye issues going? Like I don't know. Huh? What? I can't see anything. Right. It that jumped out at me and then it jumped out to me like how baggy everyone's clothes were. Oh my god, the pants. How ill fitted. The pants were just so ill fitted. That's like Z Cavarici days. Unbelievable. It is Z Cavarici days. Um yeah, Tommy it was Tolles? he lapped was the he field wearing? though. He did uh, yeah. That's why oh there was my no gosh. drama. What was Tommy Tolls wearing? No. What was that? I don't know, man. I I watched for probably about fifteen minutes. I watched Tiger I watched him play Amen Corner. 
Okay. Uh, so every time he took a shot on Amen Corner, I flipped back and watched that. And he was he just lapped the field, obviously. And it did get me thinking about how over the course of the last 25 years or so, we've had several athletes who, from a from a sports perspective, we identified at very young ages who delivered big. When you think about him, who was who we've known since he was 10, well, he was on the Mike Douglas show when he was four, whatever the heck it was. LeBron. The Williams sisters, yep. who were identified early. LeBron was identified early as special. Sidney Crosby in hockey was identified at – I mean, at 13, he was trying they – they wanted him to play in, like, 18U tournaments um, and was the best player, you know, in the world at, at 14. So, it, like, there's – and there's probably more that I'm not thinking of, but those ones Phelps? jumped out the top of my head. Was Michael Phelps identified I don't know. Early? I mean, he – swimming's a little tougher because I don't know that anybody – I don't know that you're like, paying attention yo, to 12-year-old swimmers. <laughs> yeah, the Baltimore bullet. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, he won immediately in the Olympics. But he might be the um, best athlete ever. It, uh, he's the best swimmer ever. I don't know if I'm going to say he's the best. He's the best athlete cardiovascular ever. athlete ever. I'm going to say I'll say it. Okay, that's fine. I don't have a problem. Better than Ledecky? If you're going to go cardiovascular, I believe he's he's he has not been challenged in terms of his overall dominance yet. She has. No, she I'm not talking about more. total. She, like, but she laps the field. She does. Like she's, she's pretty good. Forty seconds ahead of people. She's pretty good. You know. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, that is a skill. Swimming is a skill. I don't. I don't know necessarily that I would say he's a better athlete than Bo Jackson or Jim Brown, but it's certainly a skill. Um, let me ask you this: Isn't that something though? How we identified those people, and then they hit. The question though is how many people were also Even anointed Harper. that that didn't hit. Okay, I couldn't think of any. That got that type of that got Todd like cover sports illustrated one that comes into my mind. Yeah, because of the A's, I think there was another. Remember, there was a golfer, Ty Tryon, maybe. Was that his name? Well, Michelle. Do Wee? I have that right? Michelle Wee never was what did Michelle she win a major Wee was though? Supposed to be, I don't know if she did. She won one. John yeah. Daly's got more majors. Yeah, Ty me. Tryon was the Ty was Tryon. the golfer that was okay. that was supposed to be. Todd but I don't Marinovich? know that any of them, Marinovich. <laughs> yeah. But he got to the league. I mean, he sure. got to the league and was yeah. was undone. I mean, I, that's not a total bomb. He no. wasn't the number one overall pick. You know, Al took him, you know, pretty gamble, pretty big gamble by Al to take him where he took him based on what he had done in college. But 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 for the most part, and Van, Pop, Van Poppel's a long, long time ago. Sure. Uh, the, the kid for the uh, for the Yankees is that went no, – Brian Taylor was probably Taylor. the better. Yep. Uh-huh. It's really hard in baseball, obviously, to yeah. hit on these guys. But in, in, in these other – we have these instances where the Williams sisters – LeBron, Tiger, Crosby, even Bryce Harper were identified, put on the cover of Sports Illustrated when it really mattered at age 15, 16, and then delivered. It's a pretty remarkable thing. And not really any Josh Hamilton, you know, things that weren't weren't being able to be handled, you know, off the field. Yeah, um, it it is kind of a remarkable thing that those people who you would have identified who would all be regarded as the best – in their respective fields were identified that early. That's kind yeah. of amazing when you think about it. And has there ever been anybody like that with with football where they've been able to identify that early? Um, yeah, I mean, they're, you know, in, in the South, I've, I came across kids. There was, there was a guy, a kid named Ernie Sims, who I covered uh, when I was in Tallahassee, who was – like universally considered the best high school football player in America when he was a sophomore in high school. And then 
ended up being the number one recruit in the country, went to Florida State, was a first-round pick of the Lions, uh, and had a decent NFL career before concussions and stuff had him. But um, there are some of those. Antonio Cromartie was like that where he was identified early, freshman, sophomore. Yeah. Terrell Pryor was probably the biggest super recruit of the last 20-some years was probably Pryor. I was just going to say Pryor because everybody thought he might play basketball too while he was at Ohio State because he was that good at basketball where they were like, oh, he's got a real decision to make. I'll give you two. He's five star both. Yeah. Terrell was five star both ways. Jabari Parker was hailed as the next LeBron. And that certainly hasn't come to fruition. And then a guy who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, because I remember it, uh, who he made it to the NBA as well. Sebastian Telfair was, they were, those were guys were hailed. They were identified early. Telfair, yeah. yeah, Probably the biggest one that, and again, this is with Parker, you wonder about the injuries, but probably one that was kind of viewed that way was Wiggins, was kind of viewed as. And he hasn't developed the way that you thought he, he would, but he's, he's no bust. I mean, he's a he's, he's a, a solid player. NBA player. You know that that he's a top you know forty fifty player forty player in the league. Um, but those ones were ones that where they said you know you are you're on SI with the chosen one, and then you deliver. Harper was the same way. Tiger the same way, and the Williams sisters the same way. I mean, those little remember the videos of the Williams sisters that you'd see of them in Compton playing tennis, and then the idea that they became two of the ten greatest women's players of all time. It's crazy that they hit on that type of stuff. Um, All right. Uh, As we get into the OBM Hot Topics, Ohio Business Chief Preferred Copy or Provider of Cleveland Browns, follow the X's and O's for your office. Call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. Sounds like Andrew Thomas had a pretty good meeting uh, with the Browns. This is – and we're going to get into Andrew Barry. We're going to play his press availability. He had a long one today, so we're going to play it in two parts for you coming up. Lots of good stuff in there, and we thought the best thing that we could do to serve that would be for you all to just hear all of that. Jake Trotter will join at 2 o'clock. Our great buddy will join us. Um, Andrew Thomas, you know, it's the varying degrees on these four tackles. We could have a different draft expert on every week, and a different one would pick a different player. Thomas has played the most at left tackle. You'll hear from Andrew Barry about how little maybe that matters. Uh, But he's played the most at left tackle. He's played at a high level from Jump Street at the University of Georgia um, and and had a really great meeting with A.B. And and this is a guy, yeah, he he had a very good meeting, a positive meeting. He believes he is the best tackle in the class. And, And he's a guy that never allowed more than two pressures in a single game while playing in the SEC last year. So I think that, you know, there are some people who talk about, and Dane Brugler, he said to us, you know, I'm worried that his tape, he's on the ground, so you worry about maybe balance, movement skills, and that type of thing with him. But he's a guy that, you know, that's why there's this big four. And as we said, if you were to go through all of the different draft boards in the NFL, you are going to find different names at the top of them. And you're going to find Andrew Thomas, I guarantee, on the top of the boards on some of them. This is a guy, 2018, second-team All-American, first-team All-SEC. 2019, first-team All-American, first-team All-SEC, the Jacobs blocking trophy winner, and he was the team captain. He is the most natural, I would say, pass blocker of the four. Um, There are some balance issues. That's what Dane talks about, but... This is a guy who can maneuver his hips. He can clear run lanes. He's a great NFL tackle. And and when you talk about, again, the clay to mold, he's got it all. And he's a great leader. Kirby Smart said about him, when Andrew speaks, people listen. 41 starts in the SEC. I I like him. And I think there are people who feel, oh, well, we'd get left with Thomas. Thomas could very well be on the top of our board, to be perfectly honest. We don't know what our board looks like. And we don't know what the board's around the league. But... This is a guy who's done it. He's done it at a high level in the most competitive conference in college football, facing some of the best pass rushers in college football. 
I, I like Andrew Thomas a lot. Obviously, he knows Nick Chubb very, very well, and they've yep. got that connection. It's this is it's a fascinating draft from the tackle standpoint. And we'll get into what AB said about tackles, and I, I couldn't agree more with him uh, as things go on. But you've got a lot of good choices there at number ten. Andrew Thomas certainly is amongst those. Certainly is. Um, and again, we'll get to that AB presser for you guys here momentarily. A couple other things out of the gates in the sports world. It looks like the XFL is done. It seems is that, that way. How you're interpreting this? That yeah. it's it's closing its doors. That's the way I would interpret it, that the XFL uh, is, is closed its doors um, after a short season that was undone by the by the coronavirus and COVID-19. It's unbelievable. Um, and it, it looks like they've shut it down. I, I always kind of wondered if Vince even really wanted to do this. <laughs> I always kind of wondered. Because remember, was it the AAF or whatever wanted to buy the name XFL? And I almost felt like, you know him better than me and know his business practices better. I don't really have much of a clue on it. But just from the standpoint of, wait a second, you're going to use – you want to buy – maybe I'll do this again. Because it always if felt like you thought is, that there was something there. If the question is, would Vince McMahon operate a spite football league, the answer is 100% yes. <laughs> A hundred, okay. a billion percent, yes. A spite league. Yes. yes, he would run a spite league. Absolutely. And yeah. I think, look, I think it would have been successful. I think they did a good job. But, yeah, they fired yeah. every employee. So that says to me that it is they're shuttering for business, and that's done. There was, though, if you want a little bit of a good news, something, and, and I read this this morning. I don't know if you saw this, but Korea had its lowest number of new cases. I think there was only 20 uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. And they played their first baseball game. Their, their baseball league had a game in an empty stadium, nationally brought broadcast and so yeah. there's a sign somewhere in the world that this is was able to to be done so belarus never stopped they're still playing their soccer league it's amazing but they never stopped they still playing it they're playing in front of fans it's crazy uh germany's bringing back the bundesliga in in the in may at some point to finish out the season through june and they're doing that in empty stadiums and the epl's looked into that as well and that's probably what they're going to do in in england with the premier league the this from Bob Nightingale in USA Today on the Major League Baseball. Quick thought on this. Again, everything's on the table, right, in all these sports leagues. We just want to play. So yep. Major League Baseball has floated out this idea, and they, we started the week with their idea of quarantining everybody in, in, in Arizona. In Arizona, and now there's this one. Two leagues, Grapefruit League and Cactus League. You go back to your spring training facilities, which I like because now there's a comfort to it. There's a training to it. You're not just in hotels in Arizona. You go back to your spring training places. You go back there. But essentially, not essentially, you blow up the leagues. So it's not the American League and the National League. It is, for example, the Grapefruit League North Division would be the Yankees, the Phillies, the Blue Jays, the Tigers, and the Pirates would be in that division. And this is based on their locations in Florida. So then it would be the Red Sox, the Twins, the Braves, and the Rays in the South. It would be the Nationals, the Astros, the Mets, the Cards, and the Marlins in the East. And then for us, in terms of how it would affect us, the Indians would be in a division out in the Cactus League with the Dodgers, the White Sox, the Reds, and the Angels is the way that would go. So would you split play... the league and just how... play in your spots. So how do you play American League, National League rules? You don't. Based on... It's over. No oh, rules. I don't know that. Maybe home team? Home team, probably, yeah. Make the most sense. Yeah. Probably just go home team. And then you'll just go with – you'd you'd play out those seasons in the in Arizona and Florida – and then you'd meet in a World Series, you know, maybe back and forth. I don't know at that point. But I thought that that would be kind of fun as a one-off. Yeah. Wouldn't that I be like kind of cool? I'm just, in. Sign just, me up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not a huge baseball guy, but I would I would be into that. I think there's there's that's intriguing. And I, I do like that that people are are continuing to effort ways to do it. Yes. Like continuing course. to find ways because yeah. I think we need it, uh, we, frankly. I think you're right. Yeah. 
I do too. All right, cooking is uh, cooking is certainly hard, kids. Delivery is easy, especially with Buffalo Wild Wings. Mm. Order takeout or delivery from them at buffalowildwings.com or through the new Buffalo Wild Wings app. Get award-winning wings and over 24 sauces and seasons. Seasonings delivered hot, fresh, and straight to your house or from their delivery partners. DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, subject to availability in your area. I think I'm getting mine next week, so I look very much forward to that. Yeah. Uh, you had it this week. It's absolutely spectacular. So that's a win for everybody. It's a win when you get to hear from Andrew Barry. He had a long media availability. Uh, this morning, and we will play that for you coming up next, off and running on a Friday. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN. RBS Soundcheck is presented by Beachwood Dental. Elk and Elk Serious Lawyers for Serious Injury. Call 1-800-ELK-OHIO today for a free case review. Elk and Elk's a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Go Browns. Our man A.B., the general manager of the ship, a couple of weeks before the NFL draft, taking the time to do a little teleconference with the assembled media. Lots of good stuff in here. We wanted to play it for you guys uninterrupted. Let's have a listen to Andrew Barry's teleconference part one right now. Hey, um, before we... Hop into football here this morning. So first of all, I appreciate you guys, um, you know, making some time on Good Friday. Uh, but before we hop into football, um, you know, I, I just wanted to take actually a few moments just to look. I know the last few weeks have been really, really hard for um, you know everyone on this call, everyone in Northeast Ohio, everyone around the, around the country. Um, you know, the the COVID nineteen pandemic has been a been a real challenge from you know really worldwide. And I actually just want to take a few moments to express some gratitude to our public health officials, uh, the medical professionals who really have put themselves at personal risk um, to, to sacrifice and help others and, um, you know, really help us stem the spread of coronavirus. Um, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention is how proud I am of our organization in terms of how they've navigated you know, really uncharted territories over the past few weeks. Um, and really just kind of raise special mention to, to, you know, the Haslam family, people like Larry, Miles, Denzel, Baker, you know, guys that have really gone above and beyond to support the various relief efforts, um, you know, with COVID-19. Uh, and, and, and really the, the last thing that, that I wanted to say is, you know, all of us that, um, you know, whether it's myself or everyone on this call that has, you know, the power of the pen, um, you know, I think really part of our responsibility is just to, to, to make sure that, you know, consumers of our work or, or you know, people who, who read the different articles and, and various media platforms, just emphasizing how important it is for everybody to follow the direction of our medical professionals um, and how important it is for people to stay at home and stay safe, um, because that's the one thing that's going to really help us um you know, slow the spread of, of COVID-19. So I just want to take a couple of moments there. That's, you know, really quite honestly, that's probably the most important message, um, even more important than anything that we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. But just want to take a little bit of time to say that on the front end. Um, so I'll kind of open it up from here for, uh, you know, for football-related questions. Hey, Andrew, just from a logistical standpoint, um, we know Kevin didn't make it to Cleveland. He's still in Minnesota. Um, where are you and, and how have you been coping over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so, um, you know, when when I took the job here, my wife and I, we had really decided to um, push our push our formal move back until after the draft, just because the first the first three months in any transition um, is very challenging. Um, now, that being said, I have been, you know, have been fortunate to see them, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. 
um, and we've had a lot of uh, FaceTime activity. Um, so it has, you know, look with with um, you know a two year old and a one year old that 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 has been a, a bit of a challenge, um, but um, you know, but it's something that we had really we had really planned on um, addressing permanently after the draft. Um, obviously, with everything with with COVID. Um, we're, we're playing that a little bit by year, but um, we've been able to navigate it fine over the past few weeks. Andrew, uh, do you know exactly what the logistics are going to be like on, on the draft weekend? Where will you be, and have you done any mock drafts yet? In terms of the draft process, it still is a bit of a, a work in progress in terms of the, the operating protocol that we're going to have. Fortunately, I think we have a really strong preliminary game plan, and that's really a credit to um, our IT staff led by um, you know, Brandon and Judd Covert, as well as our video staff with, with Rob Pavlis. But we still work, are working through those things. We feel like we're going to have a good plan, have to be very, very prepared. Um, I do intend to be in Cleveland uh, on, um, you know, on draft night, and we'll be, uh, we'll be ready to go. Andrew, there's so much uncertainty um, with the logistical problems that could arise. And um, I think Coach Harbaugh brought up the specter of hacking the other day, which people didn't really think about. Um, how, how uncertain is this for you? I mean, how, how difficult is it to make any plans with, with so many unknowns? I think it's, it's just more, more different, right? right? It, it's, a, it's more different than, than any team has really uh, – a different environment than any team has operated under. Um, but look, all, all teams have faced the same challenges. And, and I, I guess from my perspective, um, you know, I, we're going to be prepared and ready to go regardless of the circumstances. And I, I, I feel confident that we're going to have a very high quality draft. And we have a really strong support staff that's been working through a number of uh, creative and effective solutions that we've, that we've used already. Um, throughout the, the free agency and draft preparation process. So I have full confidence that, um, you know, we're going to be ready to go here in two weeks. Hey, Andrew, take us through the, the last couple weeks, um, you know, Zoom meetings, maybe watching film, you know, texting with prospects. Like, what have you guys been doing with this digital stuff? Yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of, uh, you know, just, just, just as you alluded to, it's been a lot of use of Zoom, Microsoft Teams, uh, my, my, my phone, if it already wasn't attached to my hip, um, it, it, it certainly is now. So, uh, you know, we, we're, we're fortunate to live in an age of technology, so it hasn't um, disrupted the work product or workflow from that, from that standpoint. Look, obviously you, do, you miss a little bit of something with, with not being able to engage with, with people um, in person, but uh, it really hasn't slowed the, the, the free agency or draft process uh, from my perspective. And, and we've got, um, you know, we, we, we feel we've, we've felt very prepared going into free agency and we feel very prepared at this point um, in the draft process. So um, it's had its challenges, but, um, you know, we've, we've navigated them pretty well. Hey, and and I have a question, question about um, assembling a team as a new um, GM, uh, albeit you've been uh, been there before, obviously. But when you uh, first got there in 2016, uh, you know Ray Farmer's uh, group uh, had assembled teams, uh, and uh, and then uh, John Dorsey's uh, group assembled teams, and of course you're a part of that. But now the the question is, in terms of uh, hoping to win in 2020, how do you avoid uh, tearing down the roster too much and saving enough of uh, Dorsey's people? Uh, for uh, this team to be relevant and uh, you know have have enough uh, depth 
from the uh, players selected by another regime to try to win in 2020. I guess this, that probably goes back to something I was um, I was asked, uh, I guess, in the opening presser in February. And, and the first thing I want to clarify is everyone, every player who is on the Browns roster, they are part of our organization and they are, they are a Cleveland Brown. It's not about how they were acquired or who acquired them or, or anything along those, guys, along those lines. Um, you know, the, the players on our team, they're ours, and we're going to embrace them with open arms regardless of how they, regardless of how they got here. Uh, in terms of the question about assembling a team, it, you know, it, it's no different than uh, any other offseason, right? Our, our goal is to aggressively add talent, aggressively add players to the roster who can, um, you know, help us and fit in our schemes offensively and defensively on the field. Uh, and then um, – are the type of people you know that we want in our organization we said it you know multiple times smart tough accountable um and and that's really our focus day in and day out uh during this offseason process and and uh you know putting together the best team possible so we can go out and win on sundays in the fall andrew how do you transport your war room to your home office you know in berea you have the walls of all the names and everything you're surrounded by scouts and coaches and your your front office and that and for this thing, you're going to be isolated at home. So how do you transport all that information that's all on the walls and everything like that to that home office? I, I guess maybe a, a big part, and maybe this, this is maybe more, um, uh, you know, my, my particular age demographic is, is perhaps a little bit helpful. A lot of the stuff that we use, they're, um, you know, database, database tools, uh, I guess really no different than uh, video tools, a lot of, no different than probably a lot of industries around around the country. So, in terms of physically moving things, that's really not a challenge, um, you know, for you know for us. Uh, the, the bigger challenge is just uh, setting up effective communication protocols because, it, look, it, you, you do run into issues sometimes where someone at their home doesn't have a uh, a strong, you know, internet signal, and maybe they go out for a few minutes, or it's a, there's a latency issue. But uh, in terms of our information, you know, a lot of that is housed in our, in our internal database. And, and fortunately, again, we live in the age of technology where we have, whether it's FaceTime, Zoom, Teams, and just even picking up the phone and, and giving people a call. So, you know, from that perspective, um, it, it's different, but it's, it's not a challenge that's uh, insurmountable by any means. Andrew, is there, how do you, you're, how do you you're go so about young. Giving, is there any way to go? So I'm, uh, Andrew, I'm you're, I, I, do you have any, Andrew, considering you're, you, you know, you haven't been in this forever. I mean, do you have any old school, like people in the building saying, you know, worst case scenario, we have to do, you know, go back to the eighties or what, you know what I mean? Like the old, the old days, um, <laughs> I would say that that regardless of age, uh, you know, we have a uh, a pretty progressive group, and then I would say even just uh, you know, you know, people who are who are significantly older than I am that we that we have on staff, you know, even 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 they realize the the benefits of, of uh, technology now. You know, we're going to make sure that uh, we're prepared in any decision making scenario that we have. Um, you know, what we need if there was to be a kind of an Armageddon. Armageddon uh, scenario with with power or internet access or something along those lines, but that's really no different than uh, anything that you would experience if you were actually in the building, um, you know, navigating the draft process. So, uh, you know, I, I, again, I think we're we're pretty pretty well prepared on that front, and and, and have a number of uh, strong contingency plans in place. 
when you have to look at uh, players, you know, possibly drafting players that you haven't, your doctors haven't looked at, how, um, what is that situation like? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question. Um, so I think we're, we're fortunate on a number of levels. You know, number one, you know, we did have the, the combine uh, in, in February, and that every year is really the most important part of the combine is getting the medical information and getting the, the baseline and preliminary medical information for, um, you know, roughly 330 prospects. Uh, the league has done a really nice job of, um, you know, really coming up with, with some protocols where essentially each, um, you know, team doctor is, you know, responsible for a, a check-in with, with, with some of the guys who weren't, weren't healthy in Indianapolis. So we are going to get um, some pretty good updated medical information on, on prospects who weren't, um, you know, healthy earlier in February. I think the bigger challenge is for players who were non-combine uh, invitees and, um, you know, digging on, on medical information there. But that's, again, a challenge that we face every year. Uh, and fortunately, uh, you know, Joe Sheehan, our medical staff, you know, every year they've done a good job of, of leveraging their relationships to uh, really get the information that we need from, you know, from the different, you know, from the different campuses on, on prospects who aren't uh, combine eligible. So, yes, there is, there's a little bit um, more uh, legwork this year in compare, uh, compared to, uh, to prior years. Um, but but we're still going to be at a really good place for um, you know the, the the players who are uh, in consideration for us um, you know in the draft and then after the draft. Andrew, is there any update on Carl Joseph? I have, I don't believe he's been announced officially. Yeah, the the, the, the big thing the big thing there is just uh, you know the the physical. We've uh, it, it it's a little bit challenging just from. You know, from from state to state, they're 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 obviously, um, you know, the focus of, of the the hospital systems is is rightfully so on COVID nineteen, and so it can be a little bit more challenging from from state to state. But um, you know, look, we we uh, you know that's really the only reason that, that that he has not been announced. But you know, we don't anticipate any any uh, significant problems. Andrew, do you think it's a bigger challenge to execute a trade on the clock? Um, not, uh, not really. I mean, I guess, uh, I guess there could be a little bit more, you know, risk depending on, um, uh, the technology on the other end. But I mean, if you think about it through, uh, you know, maybe a, a normal, a normal situation or a normal draft, um, a lot of those trades are, they're executed by phone, right? We're still going to be online with the, uh, you know, with the league office, um, we'll still be on the line with other teams. So from that standpoint absent a uh you know a power outage or, or something along those lines at, at either of the two um clubs uh you know i think that that's something that's going to operate uh you know largely the same on draft weekend all right good stuff there for ab lots to get to here in terms of one thing that i liked a lot was the idea of uh and this is we see and i've talked about this a lot you feel pretty good about where our guys are because of their age and how tech savvy they are this is a world they're used to living in z 
Uh, listen, not our I, problem. I said it a couple days ago. I think this is an advantage for us, to be perfectly yeah. honest. I think with the I guys agree. that we have in charge, their pedigree, their planning, their process, their age, their demographics, all of it adds up to this being an advantage for us over some people who have maybe been in the game for a very, very long time, aren't as tech savvy, yeah. and aren't as used to doing things on computers and on devices that like that are old school, that like to write everything down and have it there. And I think Andrew Barry just made it very clear how prepared they are. The draft room has yeah. come with him. And and just like we said it was going to, um, I think, as I said, this is going to be an advantage for the Browns. I think that's their whole mantra right now. And we're going to hear more. We talked about Depot, but their whole mantra is to figure out ways to gain advantages over the competition. And I honestly feel that in this case, I agree, not through anything that they've done, obviously through a, a global pandemic, which is a terrible way to do it. But I do think the the restrictions placed on the draft as a result of it do lend themselves to an advantage for the Cleveland Browns. Completely agree. Much more from Andrew Barry's teleconference coming up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. Browns fans, head on and log on to clevelandbrowns.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, head over to your YouTube channel, youtube.com slash browns. Check out the latest episode of the best podcast available with the Ibs Boys as the Draft Network's Jordan Reed joins the guys to preview the 2020 NFL Draft. He thinks it's a good idea to move right tackles to left tackles. And what would he do if Isaiah Simmons was on the board at number 10? Pick him. That's what you do, I hope. Uh, so you can Amen. check that out wherever you get your podcasts. In terms of part two with Andrew Barry and that teleconference, let's go ahead and have a listen to that now. Andrew, how do you feel about just what you did in free agency? Because you mentioned you kind of went into it with a plan. Now that you look at what you basically got, how do you feel about it? You know, we, we, we feel good. We're excited about all the guys that we added to the roster. We thought um, they had the talent, the skill set that would fit really well into our offense and defensive systems. Um, we think they uh, embody the characteristics that we're looking for in terms of people, uh, you know, fitting into our locker room and fitting into our organization. Um, and we like, you know, we like the value that we got for the players. So uh, I think it's a, a good start to the off season. You know, we have five months until, you know, hopefully we're uh, you know, we're playing uh, in early September. Uh, so we still have a lot of work to do to add competition to each of the different position groups, but but certainly the guys that we've added to the roster so far, you know, we're excited to have them, uh, how, and we're excited to meet them Browns. How much of a priority was trying to get the the line stabilized, and then also you know looking into the draft for that? Yeah, so um, I think I, I mentioned this uh, a little a little bit earlier as well is that you know for for us. Um, you know, having a young quarterback and, 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 and being an organization that we want to make sure that, um, you know, we can be quarterback centric and, and, and ensure that that position has a lot of success. Um, you know, the offensive line is always going to be um, a priority. And that's not just this year, but, but any given year. Um, because if we can't protect the quarterback, we can't, um, you know, uh, you know, create, create holes in the run game, then it's going to be a really tough challenge for our skilled players to produce and play at a high level so it really does it really does start there i know those guys end up being a bit of unsung heroes but um you know that's something that's um that has been a focus of ours and, and will continue to be a focus of ours um in each successive off season andrew you've talked about a lot already but in general andrew the what are the traits 
and characteristics and skills that you think have become the most important in this situation in the draft prep and in draft execution on draft night, the skills of a GM and a front office, what do you really need to be able to do to not be thrown off by this? And how do you feel like the skills of the Browns front office match up with what's important? And, and maybe, maybe I can ask for a quick clarification. Or do you mean more operationally, just given, given the, uh, the change in environment? Yeah, given that everything everything that has changed. So, yeah, to make sure that things flow um, as smoothly as possible and are as normal as possible, what are the yeah, things I, that an organization okay. really needs to emphasize? Yeah, yeah so I, I really think it comes uh, down to just organization and preparation. And a big part of that is, is working in conjunction with the IT staff, the video staff, obviously your personal staff, personnel staff and, 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 and our coaches uh, to make sure that, Number one, um, you know, communication is where it needs to be uh, as we're making, you know, as we're making selections, um, you know, later on in, later on in April. Um, I think that's, that's, that's really the biggest thing. So, you know, one of the things that we're going to do over the next two weeks, we are, as we get our um, virtual war room, so to speak, set up, you know, we are going to go through a couple dress rehearsals so that we can make sure that we um, – you know, uh, uh, you know, flesh out any any uh, trouble spots or things that we may not anticipate. Because the first time, um, you know, doing this way, we don't want to be uh, Thursday, day one of the draft. So we're we're going to be organized. We're going to be prepared. Um, and and really, we just want to get to the point where two weeks from now, it's all about execution, and it's it's uh, and we're ready to go. In your ten years in personnel. In your 10 years in personnel uh, looking at drafts in terms of it's a strong draft, a weak draft, uh, it would be great if you would uh, uh, be willing to admit whether this year's draft is, uh, is strong or not as strong. But is that true, Andrew? Does, uh, do the drafts uh, widely fluctuate going into them in terms of uh, you know, this draft group looks like a strong group or another year's group might look uh, uh, relatively weak overall? I have a feeling this may be a less than satisfying answer for you, but um, look, I, I think every year each class has a number of good players across positions. Uh, there, in in retrospect and in hindsight, there are you know classes or years where perhaps the whether it's the top end of the draft or the depth of the draft maybe isn't as strong as in other years historically. I don't think that that's something that we truly know uh, until. Until we, you know, we look through the lens of through the lens of history, um, but you know, needless to say, this year, uh, again, a number of quality players across positions, um, a number of players that we'll be excited about at each, um, you know, really in each in each round that we have a pick in each day of the draft. So we look at it as, a, as an opportunity to to add some young players to the roster that that can again improve depth, competition, and overall talent across the team. Andrew, there was a Andrew. report that you guys got pretty close with, uh, or that you guys were pretty serious shooters for Jadavian Clowney. Um, my question is, did you guys, you know, did you reach out? Did you have conversations with Jadavian's agent? And is that some is that a situation you are still monitoring, or where does that stand? Yeah, I'm I'm not going to get into the um, you know the habit of of really commenting on or speculating on um, players that aren't on our roster um you know obviously Jadavian he's a good football player um but you know for us it really goes back to uh you know something I mentioned 
uh, you know, maybe two months ago, you know, we're you know, rest assured across all uh, opportunities to acquire acquire players. You know, we're going to be aggressive and 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 um, you know, adding talent to the roster. And uh, you know, we're going to make sure that we, um, you know, if if there is an opportunity to to upgrade the team, and we think that it makes sense, you know, we're we're going to be proactive there. But um, like I said, I'm not going to speculate on on players who who aren't on our on our team. Um, but we're we're actively always looking. Um, you know, whether it's draft, free agency, trades, waiver wire, you name it, um, that player to our roster. Uh, Andrew, how difficult is it to draft a player who has been mostly a right tackle or even exclusively a right tackle's college career and say, okay, you drafted him high now, I'm not talking about a seventh-round pick or something, you're taking the first round, and say, all right, we're going to make you into left tackle. When, you, when you're evaluating that, how do you, I guess, how do you look at it? Honestly, I think the distinction between left and right tackle is is really outdated. Um, you know, it's 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 not. You know, we're no longer in the days in football where teams will uh, have their best rusher and just line them on the defensive right, offensive left, you know, side of the formation. Um, and 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 really, the game isn't isn't played that way. So, from my perspective, tackles are tackles. Uh, and in terms of in terms of guys, you know, making the switch, like certainly there is. Um, you know, probably an element of muscle memory that needs to uh, be reprogrammed, so to speak, for for people who have played one side or the other for a long period of time. But you know, if you if you if you look, um, right, Jack Conklin, he was a uh, a a college left tackle that has been a, a pretty pretty well accomplished right tackle in our league, and you know, perhaps the best the the, the best example of a switch for a career college right tackle that has been a, a pretty good left tackle in our league is Tyron Smith. So I think sometimes those distinctions can be a bit um, overemphasized, uh, but but look in today's game, you you know, yeah, I, I think I think the two tackle positions are. are uh, they may not be identical, but they're pretty close. Couple more. Think, in other words, there's not a special skill skill set that goes with left tackle anymore because it used to be, you know, I guess maybe the best athlete on the offensive line, you put him at left tackle. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, th- I think the requirements of both the left and the right tackle in, in today's sport, they're, they're, they're just as challenging. I mean, you're going to face okay. top rushes every week at both spots. You're going to have to pass protect at both spots. You're going to have to create movement in the run game at both spots. So um, it's certainly a, uh, a challenge that both guys will face. Andrew, you've made many moves this offseason with veteran players, but all of them still have not touched the left tackle position. It's got to be by design, right, that you set it up so that the draft focuses on a strength in this draft? No, I, I wouldn't make any assumptions regarding that. And, you know, like I mentioned, you know, Jack's played, you know, Jack's played left tackle before. Chris Hubbard has played left tackle. Kendall Lamb's played left tackle. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, like I said, I wouldn't make any, any assumptions about, um, you, know, what, um, you know, what we may or may not do. Um, you know, moving forward, like my goal is to make sure that we are adding talent across the roster, adding competition across the roster, um, and that's something that that we're looking forward to do, continuing doing over the next several months. Hey, Andrew, what, can you talk about the philosophy or explain the philosophy of signing so many of the defensive guys that you added to one-year deals? Is that for salary cap flexibility, draft flexibility? And some of it is 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 not. Not, really, just not 
you know, forcing the market's hand, so to speak. We, we, you know, we felt like all those guys could add something, um, you know, to the team with, with, with their on-field profile and their off-field profile. Um, some of them did find, you know, perhaps more dep- depressed markets than, um, you know, they were expecting going into the process. So um, it, did, it did work out that way. Um, you know, but, but part of it was just, just, again, trying to be opportunistic um, as, we, as we navigated some of the different player markets. Um, and so really that's, that's, the, that's the primary focus there. Andrew, how have you found working with Kevin, and what would be a couple of the things that maybe even surprised you about as your relationship has grown with him? It, it, it's been fantastic. Um, uh, you know, we uh, it, you know we were in each other's offices every day before um, before facilities closed down. We've been on the phone multiple times a day uh, since the facilities facilities have uh, closed down. I would say probably the the, the biggest um, probably the biggest. I, maybe I shouldn't say surprise, but the but okay. So biggest biggest pleasant surprise, just getting to know him over the past over the past few months, is probably it's really something non football related. I, I don't think people and pay, maybe people will realize it as uh, um, as we go through the year. But he has got an incredible sense of humor and an incredible wit. Um, you know, he really uh, he, he he can really uh, he can really get me going just because he's got the, such a such a sharp wit. Um, and maybe that's something that you guys have picked up a little bit on with uh, with some of your sessions with him. But um, he's a he's a really really funny guy, and uh, I can't wait when we do open the building back up and our players get to get to know him a little bit more intimately. Um, I know that, that they're going to embrace him. Andrew, can you just talk about in a draft situation your decision making process? If there are two prospects at a position that you like, and one might be more NFL ready and one maybe is not quite as ready right now but has a higher upside, not necessarily what you would decide, but just how do you go through that process when you have two similar guys who are like that? Uh, I, so I, maybe more, more globally, I think it really does um, depend on the particular situation because there are a number of factors that come into play, talent, need, medical history, character, mental profile, um, you know, positional, positional priority, you, you know, you name it. Uh, in terms of that question about NFL readiness or, you know, ceiling in particular, um, I guess for me, the, the draft is largely about trying to find some, um, you know, longer-term solutions to, to your roster because you do have these players under contract for, you know, multiple, you know, multiple years at pretty cost-effective amounts. So I, I guess the – you know, the idea that you are taking players to, you know, come in and hit the ground running, very, very few rookies do that. And that's, and that's not to say that there aren't some who do or, or will, um, but that's, that's really, that really won't be our organizational mindset as we, you know, as we enter, um, as we enter the draft uh, about, okay, who can, you know, who can, you know, perform at a, at a, a Pro Bowl level day one. Um, because just you know, history tells it that that's that's very rare and not usually the case. Um, and this is you know all the players that we take day one, day two, day three. You know we're hopeful can 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 be longer term members of the organization. Andrew, Andrew uh, Paul, that's time for two more here. Two more here. All right. Go ahead, Tony. I'll, I'll take second. Right. Oh, you want me to go? Okay. Uh, uh, Paul D. Podesta said. Uh, at the Stefanski intro, which was before you were hired, uh, was when he, when he first started with the Browns. The NFL was so new to him. 
I mean, he, he, you know, didn't know what he didn't know and all that. So here it is four years later. How is his experience in the NFL now affecting the operations of this coming draft? I think it's something both and I, both Kevin and I have both hit on that how, um, you know, fantastic of a thought partner that Paul has been in a variety of the, the football operations domains. Um, and, and with Paul, I think he has such a unique background that here's, here's someone who's had, you know, 20 years of, of high-level executive experience um, and, you know, one of the, the big three professional sports, you know, again, now has, you know, four years of high-level experience uh, in the NFL. And that diversity within his background has been um, really valuable to us throughout the, uh, throughout the off-season process. I know, uh, you know, I know Kevin has mentioned that, that how, how helpful Paul has been. And so, um, it, look, I, I think Paul is a, uh, a super valuable, you know, resource for all of us and for the organization and very, very happy he's here um, and involved in everything that we do. Andrew, obviously you guys are supposed to start the off-season program this week, and now we don't even know if there will be any off-season program. How big a setback is that, especially for – First-time coach um, in a completely new regime. Yeah, it, it's a challenge, but I'll, 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 again, all 31 other teams are dealing with the same circumstances, and um, we're going to be prepared. I know Kevin and his staff are prepared. And I, I do also think that there is there is some precedent for this. Like if you look at, um, you know, was it 2011 coming out of the coming out of the lockout? Um, you know. At that point, there were zero offseason programs. Teams are starting free agency in August, and then it's like you push the the play button, and you're in, in camp two days later. Um, and teams navigated that fine. In fact, I think that was the year where we had a number of, uh, of rookie quarterbacks that really hit the ground running um, as rookie stars in that season. So it it it, it creates a different environment, but it, it's it's not like this is the first time organizations or teams have had to deal with this or deal with adversity um and and you know we'll be we'll be ready to go all right good stuff from there uh from ab lots to get to draft in a couple of weeks as we said you know a lot of t- attention has been paid to the comedy made about left tackles right tackles um i think what he's basically i mean it's just antiquated the idea of protecting a blind side is is just a little bit antiquated because the way football is played now you protect which way your first read is you need them both they both matter Amen. And the, not only that, it was in the past that teams would put their best pass rusher only against left tackles, not against right tackles. That's no longer the case either. You see yeah. these guys line up on both sides trying to create mismatches. Von Miller has rushed basically exclusively against right tackles for the majority of his career. So it, they're equally important. It's, a, it's an equal skill set. It is a changing thing uh, in the NFL landscape as far as tackles and how they're compensated. And I think it will continue to evolve but I think Andrew Barry, again, this is an area where they're a little bit smarter and ahead of the game. And, and the fact that Jack Conklin says right tackle allowed them to get him at a discount relative to a left tackle when, in fact, he is going to be just as valuable. You're running plays yeah. both sides. You're using play action boots where you need your tackles to be able to get it out there and make plays. And as I said, more importantly, teams are rushing in both right. ways. In both ways. Right. By the way, did you see – I know you don't follow me, but maybe one of your friends who follows me on Twitter <laughs> told you yeah. about it. I retweeted a, a one-minute clip 
of Joe Thomas with uh, Brian Baldinger, uh, and it was about the NFL Game Pass Rewind, the film session, where he broke down exactly how he saw a blitz coming from the Ravens that allowed for a completion, and it was just – it was next, next level. I mean, when we were next, you level. and I were talking about these tackles. That's the part that you can't quantify. Yep. Are they going to care about their craft? Eighty percent as much as Joe Thomas cared about his, because that play, and we've been lucky enough to have Joe on a lot, and he's able to. He's had some great deep dives on his thought process. That play is who Joe Thomas is. Yeah. That he kept Brian Hoyer from getting smoked because he neutralized his primary threat and chipped the secondary threat and able to recognize all of that. Now, they're doing that in slow-mo and stop. Like, recognize that in a matter of 10 seconds, five seconds of what was coming because he had done the film study and he was prepared. You just don't know if guys are going to have that. And that's what it takes to be a guy at the level of Joe Thomas. I mean, he talked about the 40 things, remember, that would be going through his head before every snap. And on that one, he identified three defensive backs on a side where we have one receiver. Clearly, he's already cheated over the hash. That means one guy's coming. That means if I know a corner's coming or a safety's coming on a blitz, one of these guys from the outside, the Doomerville's going to try to push me inside. Yep. Awesome. Because he to create a lane, so I'm going to go inside for a step, knowing that I'm hitting him there, stopping him, and getting back outside and preventing the hit. It ends up being a completion. And by the way, a nice run after the catch from Hawk as well when the clip cuts off. But yeah. that's what it takes to be elite. That's what separates the Hall of Famers. It's now look, there are guys that are mentally that good, but physically aren't. When you have that mental preparation, that dedication, and, and that awareness, that ability to read and react, and the physical gifts that Joe Thomas had, despite his short arms. Yep. Despite those short arms, <laughs> Despite the short arms. You, you get somebody who's a first ballot surefire Hall of Famer. Yes, you certainly can. Coming up at the top of the hour, well, we're at the top of the hour. Coming up next right here on 850 ESPN Cleveland, we'll be joined by our good buddy Jake Trotter, ESPN NFL Nation Browns reporter. He joins us coming up next, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. <laughs> You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Browns fans, log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Head over to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash browns. Check out the latest episode of the BPA with the Ibs boys as they do what they do as good as anybody. Time to go out on the hotline. ESPN NFL Nation Browns reporter, our good buddy Jake Trotter, joining us with some reaction to the Andrew Berry teleconference from earlier today. Uh, boy, Jake, we Nathan and I felt pretty good about, about because of who our guys are that the technology is not going to be a problem for them. Kevin said as much when he was on with us last week, uh, and Andrew kind of backed that up a little bit. I, it's one of those instances where this front office, as young as they are, as tech-savvy as they are, this ought to be right in their wheelhouse, and AB kind of backed that up today, buddy. Yeah, wasn't he like a computer science minor in college? So he, you know, he could rewrite the code on the fly if he needed to. If, uh, right. They ran into any trouble. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Jake, in terms of even... other headlines for you, Jake, what what jumped out from this uh, from this availability for managers? Pretty big one. You guys, you guys got quite a bit of time with him today. Yeah, he was on for what was it like twenty minutes, maybe half hour, even. Um, I I feel like. You know, it wasn't anything that was like, I got to send this in to, to the news desk at ESPN. But I felt like, you know, what he said about the offensive line, that's always going to be a priority. Everything starts there. We want to be a quarterback-centric offense. And to be that, you have to protect the quarterback. So it just kind of reinforces what we all have thought going into the draft, that 
there's a, a high probability they're going to take a tackle at number 10. It's a great tackle draft. It's a great time if you need a tackle be, to be selecting in the top 10. And I think it's going to you know buttress the investment they made in Jack Conklin on the other side of the offensive line. Was there anything that you weren't expecting to hear? I know you said that there wasn't anything groundbreaking, but one thing that's getting the most run is the tackle thing, and I think Andrew Barry was spot on there. Yeah, he was. And, you know, he said – one thing he said that is, is true about tackles are interchangeable anymore in the sense that there's no such thing as a right tackle and a left tackle. That's true in the sense of, you know, if you're having to defend a Miles Garrett, he could line up on the left side one time, the right side the next. Um, so it's not like you're, if you're the left tackle, you're always going to be facing off against the best pass rusher, which I think traditionally that's the way, you know, football used to operate in the past. But, and you look at some of the, the, the guys that they've had, uh, you know, in the past and last year, you know, going from like left guard to right guard or right guard to left guard. Um, there is a difference in, uh, the, the, the technique, um, the fundamentals, you almost have to like invert everything. And so, that's why a guy like Andrew Thomas is a guy who's played left tackle for a number of games at Georgia, uh, you know, versus somebody like Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs, you know, guys who are right tackles in college who could play left tackle potentially um, and, and conceivably. But uh, there is something to be said for a guy who is not going to have to endure any kind of learning curve uh, or kind of re, re, uh, rewire his brain. Uh, to, to protect from the left side. So um, I, I think that is right, although to me when you're looking at, you know, who is the surest thing to be a left tackle among the top four guys everybody keeps talking about, Andrew Thomas makes the most sense from that perspective. He certainly does, and you mentioned that pass rushers line up all over the place, and now he was one asked about flirtation with one pass rusher, Jadavian Clowney. We know Olivier Vernon's still on this roster. There have been some rumblings about potentially restructuring him as he's at $15.5 million for this year. Also, there were Adam Schefter speculated the Browns could be interested in Yannick Ngakwe, which I think would be a, a wonderful addition. What are you hearing? Because Andrew Barry obviously won't talk about anything directly, but did say we will always be aggressive in adding talent. What do you think the likelihood is that either Clowney or Ngakwe is on this roster? I would probably characterize either as unlikely, although not impossible. Um, you know, our, our my colleague uh, Jeremy Fowler reported, I guess it was like a week ago or a few days ago, that you know the Browns had come closest to signing uh, Jadavian Clowney of anybody. And, and listen, he's a good player. But I think the problem you have, especially given the way the coronavirus has impacted the way the NFL does business, the guy that's had knee surgery, a guy that's had microfracture micro surgery in his past, when you're not able to bring that player in and examine him and get all the inf injury information that you normally would be able to get, and then that guy wants $20 million on a multi-year deal, and, and who knows how much guaranteed, that to me is tricky. And I think everybody from the beginning seems like they've over overlooked Olivier Vernon or that like it was a foregone conclusion that he would be gone, similar to the way that everybody kind of looked at Chris Hubbard uh, before they reworked uh, his deal. Um, you know, the, the, the benefits of, of, of Olivier Vernon, um, and, and we're probably, you know, he didn't play well last year. He didn't play very much uh, because of the knee injury. But this is a guy that made a lot of plays uh, for the Giants as a pass rusher. Um, you know, I think what, what worked when they made the trade at the time still works now in the sense that, you know, you, potential for what he can do one-on-one -on -one opposite 
Miles Garrett is still there um, if he's healthy. And there's a lot of flexibility in that contract. The Browns have all the, um, you know, all, all the leverage uh, in this particular contract because there's no guaranteed money left. It's a one, it, there's only the one year left on it. And so, um, you know, even if they kept him, it's not going to impact anything they would want to do down the line like some of these other guys would. So um, I don't think it's like out of the realm of possibility that Olivier Vernon, and I've thought this for some time and then, you know, talked to some people too. Um, it's not inconceivable that he's going to be starting opposite Miles Garrett again. Absolutely. And, and that might be okay. That might be okay for them. Yeah. Yeah, certainly might be. Jake Trotter, our guest, ESPN Browns reporter joining us, our good buddy. Um, you know, one thing that, that kind of hit us, this was supposed to be report week, right? Everyone was going to come back. It was the, you know, how many times you heard Kevin say, can't wait to get to April 6th and, and get the guys back in and get to work. And one of the things that, that we kind of talk about on this show is this is very much the Baker Mayfield season. This is year three. This is an offense that seems to be tailor-made for his skill set. And we know how much Baker would have been devouring things if he was in the building. You've known him a long time. Um how do you and maybe you've spoken to him I don't know how how do you how do you think he's dealing with not being able to be here uh and get on page with this offense I realize they couldn't do on the field stuff but certainly the study would have been there how do you think he's tackling this the best he can you know the be- the best I think a lot of guys can I mean this is not an advantage to to be installing a new offense during this time I mean the, the teams that have continuity in their coaching staff and their front office even have an advantage right now. And I know, you know, Andrew Barry said today, we're all operating, you know, uh, uh, with the same rules. That That's true. But I, I just think if, uh, if if you're running the same offense that you've been running for years, you're just going to have an advantage over the teams that are trying to install new things, um, which the Browns are going into uh, this season. So, you know, I know Baker is, uh, you know, he's been working out at Lake Travis High School in Austin um, as much as he can, especially on, you know, in, 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 in you know, throwing the ball and, and, getting his arm in shape and he's, you know, he, he uh, and his wife were, um, you know, renovating a home in Austin that they're not ready. At least last I checked to live, move into yet. So he's actually been living with his parents in Austin. Um, so he's been, you know, it's been kind of a low key off season for Baker uh, in these last couple of months. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing uh, for him. Um, so I, I think he's, you know, he's not getting married this summer. I think he's going to be as focused as he can be. And I think he understands, uh, what happened last year and how big of a year this is coming up for him. And, and it, as much as you can do uh, in your home, he's, he's working on it, but it is tough because, um, you know, he still is working on chemistry with some of these guys, Odo Beckham, you know, comes to mind and they're putting in a new offense. And when you're not there, you know, it's just it, the, the learning curve is going to have to wait a little bit. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how that chemistry is able to be gotten for these guys. And I know that, you know, talking to some of the players today that they have gotten, you know, at least portions of the playbook and they're able to get going on that. They were supposed to report on April the 6th, but it sounds like they are able to to move forward, at least start to get their football acumen up and get inundated with what it's going to look like for what they're going to do. Talking with Jake Trotter. Jake, I want to just switch gears here quickly and put a question that seems to be impossible that the Browns would face such a scenario but now uh, maybe it isn't as unlikely in his latest mock uh, we had uh, Daniel Jeremiah with the Browns selecting Isaiah Simmons at pick number 10 if Isaiah Simmons is on the board at pick 10 what would the Browns do in your opinion you know to me I would still take a left tackle um you know you might see if somebody wants to trade up and I know he's 
he's a tantalizing talent because of the versatility that he ha- that he has. There's not another guy like him in this entire draft. But and you you can always you can always go back to Washington and and you know rekindle the Trent Williams trade right. from last season. So they have a backup. There's a contingency plan that they could they, they that they could fall back to if they needed to. But to me. Um, you look at the young core they have. The one thing that's really missing is that young offensive lineman, and they have a chance to address that and shore up that position where offensively you don't really see any holes or weaknesses. So I still draft the left tackle, but um, it it would be tough if somebody like that dropped to ten and, and it would give you uh, you know give you pause because that guy has a chance to be a star, and that you don't you don't get a, a chance to draft a star defensively every, you know every draft every time. So um, I, I keep it simple and take that left tackle, but you know, it, I would keep my phone, uh, you know, ready to go just in case somebody wanted to uh, <laughs> maybe offer you something for him. Yeah, I mean that's what's going to be interesting about this, right, Jake? Is as you get there to ten, and if somebody slips and somebody wants to come up, or maybe somebody, maybe somebody ahead of you takes a receiver and surprises you and takes a receiver, then all of a sudden there's a little bit of a run on them, and you could you drop a little bit and end up getting a quality tackle a little bit further down. So all of those things will be interesting. Do you, do you sense from a from an NFL standpoint, it feels like we're kind of all on hold now, and we won't really see anything, although we had the Cooks trade uh, yesterday, but we won't really see anything from a, from a movement standpoint until after the draft. And I'm thinking about that, obviously, with the marquee quarterbacks are out there. We've talked about Clowney, even somebody like Hollywood Higgins, who is kind of waiting on things. It seems like the NFL business, the business of the NFL has stopped now until after the draft. It definitely has. And, and I think, you know, you see some guys, some guys like Clowney, um, you know, you, you have a, you know, at Everson Griffin, for example, I think the market on him is sort of wait and see what happens with Clowney. And then maybe you'll see teams be, you know, more aggressive with him, but it, you know, Generally speaking, there's no doubt it feels like everything is on hold. And, you know, part of it is the, the draft is coming up, but a major part of it is just the, the way teams are having to operate now uh, with the coronavirus. So it, it, what will be interesting is after the draft, what happens, right? Like, are, are we, is it just going to be a total holding pattern until we get to like August? Um, you know, I don't know, because uh, this is kind of the last major thing on the calendar that we know is actually going to happen. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, in the league and then really just in sports in general after the draft because after that, I mean, who knows when we're going to get back to some, some you know, some sports and, and, and certainly uh, some football. Well, we certainly all hope that it is sooner rather than later. We would say that. Uh, Jake, I want to ask you one last question about this roster. And as we've kind of been going through, we've been doing position reviews of every position. You feel like, you, you, you know, with the addition of Claiborne and Billings on the line, you feel pretty good there. You've got four very good corners now with, with Denzel and Greedy and Kevin Johnson and our guy Money Mitch. You've got the safety room now with Sandejo and Carl Joseph and Redwine. And probably you want to add another safety in there. I'm not saying that, but that could come in the draft. If there was one position, though, where it seemed like there still needs to be a veteran presence added, and I know B.J. Goodson's been added to that linebacker room, it would be that room. And do you, you know, Nigel Bradham's a name that, you know, you can connect the dots to Barry with his time in Philly. Are you hearing anything at all about Nigel Bradham or maybe another a veteran coming into that linebacker room? I have not heard any specific name for that position. And 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 you really, you nailed it. You go down the list and there's like, you know, you, you can see – what the rotation is going to be at every position you know, three veteran yep. defensive tackles, three defensive ends, uh, you know, three corners, Kevin Johnson, more, of, I, th- I think he's going to be more of the nickel 
uh, in this defense, but certainly can slide out to the outside as well. Um, and then you've got three safeties with the two you signed in Sendejo and Joseph and then Sheldrick Redwine coming back, who they I think they viewed as we're in good shape if he's our third safety yep. uh, going into camp. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, listen, you'd like to maybe add another veteran to, to, to every part of that defense, but I think linebacker is the one that sticks out because you've got two young guys in Taki Taki and Mac Wilson, and then Goodson is more of a, you know, a two-down linebacker. Uh, so, so certainly you could upgrade a little bit there, but I think they've put themselves in a position where they're not really desperate at all defensively. I, I think yep. that they're in solid shape across the board defensively. And then, you know, I think they'll take a linebacker in the draft. I think they'll definitely take a safety, you know, potentially day two in the draft. And you kind of, you know, reinforce your depth there and take some, uh, you know, I, I think after you take left tackle, um, you know, the, the emphasis just like in free agency is going to swing very quickly uh, the, to the defensive side as, as they look to reinforce, um, you know, every level of their defense there. So, um, I think they're in pretty good shape. I think they could add certainly linebacker, but I don't think it's um, a situation where you look at the defense and it's like, my goodness, what are they going to do there? There's only one position that I, when I look at this team, where they've got to do something and it's left tackle. Beyond that, I think they're you know pretty solid shape across the board. Jake, appreciate you, buddy. As always, have a great yes. weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay, sounds good, guys. We'll see you. That's our good buddy Jake Trotter, ESPN NFL Nation Browns reporter, joining us. Coming up next, we go around the league. Brandon Cooks traded again. What is Bill O'Brien doing? What is he doing? I can't for the life of me understand it. We get into that coming up next. CBD A50, ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cooking is hard, delivery is easy. So order takeout or delivery at buffalowildlings.com or through the new Buffalo Wild Wings app. Get award-winning wings over 24 sauces, seasonings delivered hot and fresh straight to your house or from the delivery partners at DoorDash, Grubhub, and Uber Eats, subject to availability, of course. Time to go around the league, presented by Jack. We mentioned this before the break. Houston acquiring Rams wide receiver Brandon Cooks. Houston will also obtain uh, Cooks in a future fourth-round pick in exchange for sending a second-round pick to the Rams, um, Bill O'Brien clearly did not want to pay DeAndre Hopkins as there was a or didn't want to continue him on the team as there was a personality issue there. So he trades DeAndre Hopkins for a two and then trades a two for Brandon Cooks. So it's essentially a swap and he's going to pay Cooks all this money. Just last week, I was I was listening to somebody in the L.A. area on the L.A. front saying, man, they got to get out from under this Cooks contract. And they did. For a second round pick? Well, they're paying a 20 plus million in dead money to him this year. But what I don't understand about this at all is that what Bill O'Brien has done, I think DeAndre Hopkins would have cost $12 million against the cap this year. And now he's going to pay Cooks that monster deal that Cooks is making. And and he's going to pay uh, David Johnson 10. Right. So he, he's basically paying two guys who are not as good significantly more money than he would have paid DeAndre Hopkins. And what I'm struggling with is why, why would you do that? And it's not like he got a first rounder for DeAndre Hopkins so that he upgraded there. In fact, he did not. He got a second rounder. And then it's, this is nuts. Are you sure like KJ Hamler's not better than Brandon cooks at this point? I'd rather have KJ Hamler on a second round pick because they gave him the 57th pick. I'd rather have Hamler with the 57th pick, provided he's there, the Penn State product, 
I control him for four years on a next-to-nothing deal than having to pay Cooks all this money at this point. Yeah, they've got to pay. So they're on the hook for $20 million combined with Cooks and David Johnson, when they would, and they would have been on the hook for twelve to – DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins. Now they have a free out. Obviously they can get rid of him. The Rams are the ones eating the dead money. I mean, his dead money contract with the Rams, it's just the Rams are put themselves in. They really went for it. And I don't blame them. You go for it, but no, they put themselves in an absolutely absurd position as well in, in terms of cap numbers and, and caponomics. I don't Bill O'Brien seems to me to be out of his uh, out of his mind. I don't think what Bill O'Brien has shown is that he's a great GM, but at the second on, on the other hand, guess what? Bill O'Brien went to the playoffs last year and so he did. Uh, you can he can take that with him and and even won a game in the playoffs. Yeah, Cook's dead cap number for the Rams 21.8 million. Jeez. So they are paying they are paying this year. This to me is fascinating. They will pay a combined total of that's 61 $83 million for Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, and not playing Brandon Cooks. Oh, you know, you said they went for it. They did. They went for it. They got to a Super Bowl. Um, you have to ask if that's worth it or not. But their entire plan was was based on when this stadium was supposed to open this year being great. That was yep. the idea. They had a young team, a lot of young talent. I mean, Gurley's still 25. Um, you know, you can't forecast the knee stuff that happened with him. You can't, you can't, you don't know that's going to happen. They paid, they paid golf before they needed to. And they paid him more than probably what he, what he's worth from a payment standpoint. And then that puts it behind the eight ball. Donald's probably the one guy who's, who you can pay, who's worth that price tag. Um, but this is, it's incredible. Life comes at you fast, man. And you look at those two and they are far more entrenched in the market, obviously, but I would much rather be the chargers from a roster makeup and everything standpoint than the Rams right now. Chargers don't have a quarterback, and I'd still take their situation. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's a stunning turn of events for them that that's where uh, they have landed themselves, but they have. And now, look, next year they're going to have some money freed up, obviously, but this year is going to be a difficult year for them in terms of what they're – they still have a lot of talent on that team, but it's just going to be difficult for what it's going to look like. Now, they'll be able to, in that second round, replace Todd Gurley, as you and I were talking about, with one of these good running backs, and there are many, many good running backs in this draft uh, that can fit that offense as a runner and a receiver. You know, Dobbins, Cam Akers, Hilaire, uh, Taylor, DeAndre Swift. There's a chance they can get it. Certainly two or three of those guys will be on the board for them, and they'll be able to get their running back at, at, at a cheap price. So, it's amazing. So I said, what did I say? 80, 83 million. So yep. the top salaries on the Browns, Vernon, Landry, Beckham combined for 43 million. Sheldon Richardson gets you to 56. JC Treader gets you to 66. Miles Garrett gets you to 76. Baker Mayfield gets you to 85. So for what they're paying Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, and Brandon Cooks not to play there, as of today, the Browns are going to get the services of Vernon, Landry, Beckham, Richardson, Treader, Garrett, and Baker Mayfield. Man. And if if you took Vernon's 15 out, you could add either Conklin or Ward plus Batonio, Mayfield, Garrett, Treader, Richardson, Beckham, Landry. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's amazing. Now they got to run at it. They got to run at that Super Bowl. So that's that. Did you see the uh, Did you see the Tua Pro Day stuff? I did. I did. Uh, it, it's it. So you've got the the stuff that came out from Lombardi saying that he had flunked a couple of team physicals. 
Yep. Then you have the, this Tua video pro day that comes out, and I know Orlovsky was fired up that he got a chance to you know see he the tape of it, and, and he yeah. got all fired up about it. You got Trent Dilfer saying that he throws a better ball than, you know, Trent Dilfer saying he throws a better ball than Dan Marino right now. What did you make of it? I think it's I think it's nonsense. I think I all that matters with him is is, is he healthy? Is, what does he look? Is he healthy? And I think it's a guy who those those two ankle surgeries that he has that Alabama has those kids take. It's just that's add to that. I was thinking about this. Can you name another prospect? Certainly, I can at quarterback, but I would put it on you. Could you name another prospect who has this type of injury history going in who's being considered to be a top five hit pick at this age? <sighs> No, I can't. I can't off the top of my head. And where somebody came in with no, with this kind of a definitely question not mark, a quarterback, not a quarterback, no chance on a quarterback. I mean, there's guy like McGay. He had a you know knee, the knee I mean, but he ended up going. You're right, late late twenties, right? Or early twenties. Right. Yeah. Versus, and the other thing that I would say would be a and I like Tua a lot. I, I think there's a lot of Drew Brees to him um, in terms of the way he kind of plays the position. But I would be quite concerned with. Clearly, he must take a lot of hits because he's had a ton of surgery for a guy his age. He most certainly has. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right about that. And it's it's something to me. It's hard for me to to say okay on that. I mean, you're putting yeah. if if you get it wrong, you're putting your organization in a real bind. Now that's why to me the team that could do it is if I'm the – let's say that I'm the Redskins. What I would do is I would – and this is a two-pronged approach. I'm the Redskins. I'm going to trade Dwayne Haskins, get whatever I can get from him, see if there's a team out there that likes him. Maybe the Jags like him and think he could be their guy of the future. Maybe the Chargers liked him uh, coming out last year. I'm going to trade Dwayne Haskins for whatever I can get. I draft Tua number two. If I – as soon as I'm able to get my hands on him, I make an evaluation – Maybe it's better to just sit him for a year, just let his yeah. body mend, heal, sign Cam Newton for a one-year deal, sign Jameis to a one-year deal. Yeah. Or yeah. the Dolphins I, that have three picks, you well, can afford the, right. one of them to not necessarily pan out. Yeah, so they can take him at five. They can get two good players with their other two ones. It's a really good draft. They get two other good players, and they can let him sit for a year. I mean, they can keep Fitzpatrick and just and sit for a year and, and, and get healthy. Uh, sure. If you love him, but I think I I don't I just was thinking about that. I could not think of a quarterback, certainly not a quarterback, and really any other prospect who, upon entering the draft, had this type of injury history, this much of it. I mean, a hip's a big, big deal. We'll continue our positional breakdowns next. We will do safeties. You're listening to CBD yes. on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, time as we continue our positional breakdown on the defensive side of the ball with safety, Uncle Z. That is the position of the day, and it is a position that is going to look very, very different than it did a year ago when Demarius Randall was certainly in the middle of that thing. Uh, that is no longer the case, and so Anderson, Andrew Sandejo comes in there, Sheldrick Redwine returns, and then Carl Joseph is pending. You heard uh, Andrew Barry talk about that at his press conference. Nothing to be concerned there. They're just having a hard time getting a physical done. Uh, some some guys behind that in JT Hassel and Montreal Meander. This was a big position of need. It was It was something that has been addressed, but I think more is going to need to be done here. 
Uh, absolutely, and I think it would be another young player potentially in the draft. And you look at Andrew Sandejo, 10-year veteran. He's played free safety, strong safety. He, he knows, very familiar with his staff, spent many years with the Minnesota Vikings before spending some of the season last year with the Eagles and then goes back to the Vikings, end up even playing some slot corner for them in the playoffs. So Sandejo is a guy with both safety, versatile experience, uh, just a strong professional, will bring leadership to the back end of this defense a good hitter as well. Carl Joseph's a former first-round pick out of West Virginia who has played both strong and free safety in his NFL career as well. So he's got that versatility. More comfortable, I would say, probably closer to the line of scrimmage in the box. Um, and then, so they're likely, I'd pencil them in as your day-one starters. Redwine, as Jake Trotter alluded to, uh, who was the fourth-round pick out of the U a year ago, ended up starting, I think, five games at the end of the season. And actually played pretty well. And he's, yeah. he's more of a, a center field free safety type of a guy. Um, showed the ability to, though he plays physical, to tackle, get near the line of scrimmage. Uh, and so right now you go into the season, he's your third safety. JT Hassel is, you know, right now would be your fourth. Definitely a box safety, an unbelievable story, an undrafted free agent who plays on special teams and, and you know, is going to be fighting for a roster spot. But I do think in the draft, second round is where you could see the Browns adding uh, one of these safety. Jeremy Chin would be a name. Ashton Davis, uh, McKinney from um, Alabama. If he doesn't go yeah. in the first round, Xavier McKinney. This is a very good, uh, very good safety class, and it's one that it would not surprise me at all if the Browns try to take advantage of, of what a good safety class it is in that second round. And I think you still want to add somebody. Sendejo, Joseph, both on one-year deals. Sendejo more on the downside of his career. Joseph could end up becoming a long-term starter if he can realize his potential for you, I think, as a strong safety. But you're still looking for that one other safety, whether that be Simmons at 10 or if you can get into, as we talked about, some of these free safeties. And it really, I think, lines up well for pick number 41 if that's the direction that you want to go. Dane Brugler spent a lot of time talking about that with us on Browns Daily, and, and I really do think that you've got a group here of the guys that I mentioned, and then there's a kid from uh, Kyle Duger from Lenore Rain, but between McKinney, yeah. Chin, oh, and I forgot, Grant Delpit, Antoine Grant Winfield Delpit. Jr. There are some legit Winfield. guys <laughs> that will be there at pick 41. Delpit feels a lot, uh, and Dane said this as well, Delpit feels a lot like how greedy felt last year. Yep. Where it was a guy in the mocks going into the season that looked a lot of people thought would be a top 15 type talent, certainly a first round talent. And then uh, has a season where you wonder what's going on. Is there tackling issues? That's what a lot of people had to say about that. Similar to what happened with Greedy. I would love if, if Simmons is, is not there at 10 and you go tackle the way you think. And you could end up with Delpit or Winfield Jr. at 41 Sign me up there. I do, I, let me pose this to you. Do you think it would stop there, or do you think that they would continue? To, if there's one down, would you try to add two guys in that secondary here at safety? I don't think so. I think one would be all you need because if you had your four safeties as red wine, we'll call it Delpit, Sandejo, and Joseph, you feel really good about that. Even if you have to play three safety looks, uh, you feel really, really good about that. I think Delpit would be a great fit. Uh, Jeremy Chin would be a great fit. I think there are, those are guys that could do it. I, I like the idea of either Delpit, uh, Chin, Ashton Davis is another one, the guy, the track star uh, from Cal who could be, you know, center fielder, play that nickel as well. Um, 
I do think this class is nice. And, and there are some people who think Xavier McKinney might not end up going in the first round. And if that's the case, Xavier McKinney is a guy that I would you would love to bring in here. Uh, well, that's a Mac Wilson situation. Absolutely. Like, how's this guy still here? It would right, not as precipitous of a fall, but sure, could be right. there for you at forty-one. But I think that it sets up with the, with the signing of Claiborne, the need to draft a defensive end that early is not there anymore. And and I still think there yeah. could be a move made where you try to get your long-term solution through other means, whether that's in Gakwe, Clowney, um, but. Yeah, safety at 41, and in fact, when I do my next mock draft, which I'll get to discuss on the best podcast available, uh, I will be, I'll have the Browns going with a safety at 41, and, and I think I'm going to go with Grant Delpit. I think it's this is a guy that was first-team All-American. This is a guy that, as you pointed out, astutely would have been a top-15 pick no easily. Question. He was a unanimous All-American in 18, first-team All-SEC, Jack Tatum Award, he had five picks, 14 passes defense that year. He had nine passes defense each of the other two seasons. He really is, uh, I think, a stud and played injured all year. And if you can get him, I think it's a steal. I really do. I think Delpit at 41 would be a home run. for the, If the Browns end up getting one of these tackles and Delpit, I think that is a – that's a Mark McGuire smashing it way out of Fenway <laughs> Park. Uh, you could do it the other way too. You could go Simmons at 10 and then get – go the other way at tackle at 41 or trade back into the back in the first round. We mentioned the 49ers at 31. Would that be a possible train partner uh, to get back into that first round at 31? So there's, there's a lot of ways to kind of skin this cat, if you will. Uh, the biggest it's hard on this from the strength of this group, because it's a new group. Yeah, uh, this is not, this is not a Morgan Burnett, Demarius Randall, where we knew what Demarius was. No one could have foreseen this, the season he had, uh, but you knew who Demarius was. You had a pretty good idea who Morgan Burnett was going to be. Uh, this is a, this is tough to project the strength of this room at this point because it's so incomplete and because we just haven't seen enough of these guys. Cause we're going to have two new starters. Right. But I mean, there is the good news is there is a lot of tape on both of them. And obviously for Joseph, he's taken a one year deal to try to bet on himself that he can regain the form that made him a first round pick. An incredible athlete missed time last year. Obviously, a season ended with an injury after week 10. But he was a guy he's graded out positively at pro football focus three straight years. This is a guy who when he plays, he starts. He basically plays all the downs that he is eligible to be on the field. Um, and then you talk about Sendejo. Sendejo, as I said, is a, is a veteran. Sendejo is a guy who has started uh, uh, for you know, free safety. He started at strong safety. He's got many starts under his belt in his career. And, and this is a guy, as I said, really you know, was playing every down, 15, 16, 17, before he got an injury-shortened season in 18 um, for the Minnesota Vikings. So he knows these coaches. They know what they're going to get out of him. This is somebody who, to me, is a pretty, pretty – strong veteran presence so you know in a sense you've got reliable guys back there but you what you want to get is that infusion of young blood and exciting talent now joseph could be that joseph yeah, young, has the still. talent and the pedigree he yeah. is young so if you get joseph here and he plays well maybe he becomes your long-term strong safety what you're still looking for is that long-term free safety and there's nothing to say sheldrick redwine can't develop into it but you'd probably find it in the draft and know that you had redwine as your third safety for a while that's a pretty good room all of a sudden 
Do you? Yeah, it's it is. It's uh, it's not quite as dynamic as, and it's you know, you're asking Joseph to realize the potential. Uh, we got we, we assume he'll be here. We we got to realize the potential there. Uh, but he has the potential to be a real long term fit. We like Sheldrick Redwine a lot. I like him best. It and maybe he continues to develop as your third guy. So if you can find somebody, can you see a scenario where in the first two picks it's not tackle safety or safety tackle? I could because I still think it could if they end up finding a defensive end that they love that they couldn't believe was there. If they end up a linebacker that they absolutely love is there. Uh, I do think it will be offensive tackle and either a defensive end, a a linebacker, but most likely a safety. Now, I've seen some mocks and even Pro Football Focus just put out a three-round mock where the Browns take a defensive tackle in the second round. And I just don't see that at all. I don't either. And maybe uh-huh. they're saying, well, Ogan Joby's in the last year of his deal. He hasn't progressed as much as you want. But I don't see you drafting that tackle in this draft because where's he going to play? You've got Richardson, you've got Ogan Joby, and now you have Andrew Billings. You don't need another. Why would you use that kind of a resource there? And I know you always have to have an eye towards the future, but yeah. that would that would seem that it would necessitate another move somewhere, to, which would hopefully not just be a subtraction, but addressing a, a need. Whereas a safety could come in, and you could have a starter there, or somebody who at least you know maybe doesn't start week one, Sandejo does, but then becomes the starter. Whereas I don't see that scenario for a defense. I think the signing of Billings took defensive tackle off the early portion of your draft board. I don't think it's off the later portion of your draft board, but we're talking pick 41. I, I, yeah, I see I pick see 41 being the, the 10 and 41 being a combination of either a, a tackle, safety, and a linebacker or a pass rusher. That's it. Those are the only positions I could see that you make that move. I would agree. Furthermore, I would think that they might be more interested in receiver than defensive tackle. Agreed. If they wanted it right. If somebody sure. that was just that far the best player somebody on your board, you fo- take them. T. Sure. Higgins falls sure. somehow, and you go, God, how, we get the 6'4", 200-pound kid who's a top 15 player in this draft, and all somehow he falls to us at 41 for God knows why. You know, you have to take – you know, you feel like you have to take him like that type of situation. He's got such a high-end talent. You know, that to me, D-tackle, uh, no, I, I can't get there, buddy. I can't. It just doesn't seem like it makes any bit of sense. And I think ideally, if, if you go safety and offensive tackle, one combination of that is probably the way to go. I love the talent. I think you make a great point. The talent in that top of that second round at safety is pretty good, especially if some guys fall. If there's a rush on receivers or tackles, somebody's going to fall. It lines up for exactly what the Browns need. I think the two biggest needs on this team, uh, short and long-term, are left tackle and, and a, a stud-free safety. Now, it could be yep. a stud strong safety, but a stud safety. Stud safety. I think you need both of those things going forward. All right, final segment up next, CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Folks, we tell you, you got to do it. Catch the Emmy Award winning Building the Browns. This Sunday, 11 a.m. News 5. See how the team prepares for work from home because of the COVID-19 coronavirus and see how the team is getting ready to unveil their new uniforms. That's 11 a.m. this Sunday, Building the Browns on News 5. Yep, this is probably going to be the – well, not probably. This will be the most you'll know about the jersey unveil will be on Building the Browns because yeah, we really haven't had much. We put the tweet out yesterday, and that's it. That's it. That that's all you get. You might get some blurred stuff. A little Jay Z, Beyonce's husband, with a cameo. But yeah, that's what a where cameo! There, that's where you're going to be. Uh, that's where you're going to be looking. But I do think that we are on. We're getting close to. Let's see. High alert. Yeah, I think we might be on on oh, one hand. 
if you will. Oh, I believe. Oh, I believe. could be. I know nothing. I don't know. Same. I don't know anything. I believe it's um, Lebowski. <laughs> I'm a nihilist. The uh, the Chargers I did see were are doing it the 21st. Okay. Um, and they actually they actually used um, uh, your buddy out in Denver, Ben Ben Albright. They Albright. used his audio because apparently they used his audio in their social media tees. Where he said that that everything that he's hearing is that the Chargers will be the one that everyone loves the most. Clearly, they're going back to the Powder Blues, which is right, and 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 then he would be correct. If the if the Bucks had gone creamsicle, they might have been the one that everybody loved the most. Well, there's no question it would have been the most. I think that would have had the biggest reaction because the Chargers have been slowly moving this way out of necessity right. to try and create some sort of traction in the LA market. So they've kind of been moving this way. Um, and I have a powder blue Ryan Matthews for crying out loud. So like they've been around. They've yeah. been in the in the mix. The Natron means ones they wore in like '84 or '94 when they played you guys in the Super Bowl. Although they didn't wear them in the Super Bowl, stupidly. Um, those were spectacular with Natron the numbers on the helmet and the business. gray face mask. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He does. All right, kids, we're back uh, on a Monday. Enjoy building the Browns, and we look forward to talking to you then. Enjoy the next level coming up next. Z, have a great weekend, my friend. You too. Get back. All right, CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.